But the heart wants what it wants, and sometimes what it wants is twisted. I only wished for equal rights for all. I only wished to save her. I only wished to be invited to the party. I only wished to improve relations between the races. I only wished to teach the boy of responsibility. I only wished to give the people a voice. So he wouldn't end up like me. I only wished to love her. To help the miserable, lonely, and depressed. To be included. To live in harmony. For once, I never knew my father. You're not helping. Disregard that. Welcome to Welcome to Storybrook. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And this is episode 19 of season 4, Sympathy for the Devil. The Deville. Deville. Sympathy for the Deville. Which means that we are in Chapter 6, Cheaper by the Coven. So we're finally at the Cruella Deville episode. All right. You, I think you will agree with me when I say that the last episode was the... The last episode sucked super hard. It was the suckiest suck to ever suck. Heart of gold? I could barely tolerate it yeah so they decided to reward us for making it through that episode with this gem if you are going to watch one episode from this season watch this one i i'm gonna one up you Mm -hmm. if you're only gonna watch one episode of once upon a time watch this one whoa no it's got everything it's got the batshit writing it's got... Hammy acting. It's got the weird meta stuff with the author Ooh, that doesn't yeah. really make a lot of sense. It has some amazing lines. It's This episode has everything. Let me, let me ask you a question, Max. Mm-hmm. Cruella de Vil. Great Once Upon a Time villain or greatest Once Upon a Time villain? You could definitely make the argument and... I would be right there with you because she is great. And the thing is, this episode throws you a curveball. The setup we get for Cruella is basically the same setup we get for literally every villain in this show. Oh, my parents were mean to me and now I'm evil because of it. Mm. Except for, I guess, Peter Pan? Is he the only one who had I'm just a dick? As his general backstory. Yeah, but I can't even enjoy that backstory because it took so long to come out. Yeah, and it was so awkward coming out. But we're not talking about that piece of shit. We're talking about Cruella de fucking Ville. Okay, so we're not using it as the outro song, but right here, I'm just going to drop. Cruella de Ville, Cruella de Ville, if she doesn't scare you. No evil thing will. Oh, to Roger. see her is to take a sudden chill. Oh. Cruella, Cruella, she's like a spider waiting for the kill. Roger, she'll hear you. Cruella Deville. 
Okay, so we should actually get started talking about this episode. Yeah, we're going to be here all night because I have a lot to say, but then I'll edit it down to just the good stuff, so what you're listening to is probably about an hour. Now remember, the author is out and about doing mischief, and uh, Zelina is with Robin Hood in New York, and she's disguised as Maid Marian and was the whole time, so Regina has to deal with that mess now. Also, don't forget, David and Mary Margaret threw a baby into a death pit. Specifically to stop Emma from becoming evil. They put all of Emma's potential for evil into Maleficent's baby and then threw her into a death pit. We know that baby's Lily, the girl that Emma had a one-off teen friendship adventure many years ago. A gal pal romp? A gal pal romp, if you will, back when they were both different actresses. And... David and Mary Margaret have still not taken responsibility for what they did. The recap replays David's line that the author is the person who put them on the path to making it so that Maleficent lost her child. It's... There's a lot of passive voice happening in that sentence. I... It's terrible. I hate them. Anyway. They are the worst. But... Regina's in on Gold's plan to make Emma evil because apparently the way for the author to change the ending, the way for the author to rewrite their story so villains get happy endings is to make the person who gives people happy endings, Emma, evil, which doesn't make a lot of sense. I was going to say it follows a sort of internal consistent logic. I mean, if she is good and brings happy endings to good people, then I guess it would make sense that turning her evil would therefore bring happy endings to evil people. I think it's more like Emma somehow sets the tone for the stories, like that's her job as the savior. So if she's good, they live in a haze code world where you can't be rewarded if you're evil. Mm. But if she turns bad, then it's Mad Men, and it's like open season for Don Draper. It's interesting that you uh, said the Hays Code thing, because there are definitely shades of the problem child in this. You mean the bad seed? The bad seed, I do. Absolutely. Although, oh, there is. There is. I was going to say, remember the bad seed, of course, had to die at the end. Because of the Hays Code. Because of the Hays Code. And, of course, in the Macaulay Culkin remake of that movie, Mm. The Good Son... He died by falling from a great height. Hmm. Yeah, which is a classic Disney villain death, I will add. I wonder if that'll come back later this episode. It's totally going to. So this episode opens in flashback with a young blonde child running from a Dalmatian. This is weirdly artfully shot. Like, bits of it are in slow motion, and it looks almost like the opening to some sort of artsy film. They they get but, rid of that pretty quickly, but just the opening bits of this blonde girl running through the woods as a Dalmatian chases her. Or like a horror film with artsy aspirations. Mm. Uh, this child, by the way, this blonde child, they did a good job of making her, in retrospect, once you already know what's going to happen, of making her look evil. They put kind of makeup on her eyes so they look a little sunken. I see, I was going to say she looks sort of ethereal, like... I was going to say it makes her look haunted, but when we know what we know... Yeah, she's got aspects of otherness to her. Yes. Also, Dalmatians are bad... Asshole dogs. Dogs, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's. I remember I, I read this thing about this where people after the movie came out, people started wanting Dalmatians, and Dalmatians are mean dogs. They like will bite you for funsies. It was a Nemo thing, except these uh, animals could fight back. <laughs> oh, poor clownfish. But the dogs catch the girl and do not tear her to shreds, but instead bring her to her mother. Yes, her mother who has control of the dogs and used the dogs to corral her child. And she says, come on, Cruella, it's time to go home. (gasps) She says, now that your father is gone, there are going to be some changes. Mm. Now, okay, we know and have alluded to the fact that Cruella is evil. Like, she's just evil to the core from the beginning. Mm. That's the big twist in this episode. But... Her mother named her Cruella. What was she really expecting? Yeah, I mean, it's... You really should have seen this coming. So Cruella's mother brings her to their fancy, fancy house. And locks her in the attic. And Cruella's like, you're going to lock me in the attic like one of your dogs? Which is weird because I'm sure her mother doesn't lock the dogs in the attic. Yeah, she seems like she's... All things considered, a pretty good dog trainer. Her dogs are very well behaved. Yeah. They only attack what she tells them to attack. They And they attacked uh, Cruella without tearing her to pieces, which... Yeah. Child Cruella, by the way, is wearing a purple paisley jacket that I love. Just wanted to bring that up. It is a pretty cool... I, I didn't really notice it before, but yeah, it is a good jacket. But her mother tells her, okay... Your dad's dead now, so you're going to live in the attic. And, uh, yeah, this this room is going to be your world now. That's really messed up. Yeah. Anyway, she says Cruella needs to learn to do as she says. And then she locks her in the attic. And we cut to the present day, where Cruella is peeling down the road in her roadster, which is very in character for Cruella. I love that that's a character trait of Cruella's that crossed over to Once Upon a Time. I love how happy she looks while she's doing it. She's just genuinely really, really enjoying driving very fast down the street. Reckless driving gets her hot. However, she does have to brake really hard to avoid running into Maleficent. Maleficent is standing in the middle of the road waiting to confront Cruella, and she is not doing well from the news of Lily. It's interesting, her hair is still in its 1940s updo, but it's kind of coming loose just the tiniest bit, just enough to know that she's losing control. Part of the reason that Maleficent is so slightly frazzled is that apparently Cruella told her that the baby died. That Maleficent's baby died when it fell through the death pit with uh, Cruella and Ursula. But now Maleficent knows that that's not true. And so she asks Cruella where the baby is. And Cruella tells her they left it to die in the woods. Mm. Which is so fucked up. She also explains that they took the eggshell with them and its magic helped them stay young, which explains why they're the same age we saw them in the flashbacks, even though like 30 years have passed. Yeah, that part's probably true. Yeah. Even though uh, we know that Lily's alive, we know the part about letting her die in the forest is wrong. I'm assuming Ursula took the baby with them because- Ursula's not actually evil? At any point in the show. 
Yeah, but Maleficent is pretty upset to hear about her baby's death. She's pretty upset to hear that Cruella left her baby to die in the woods, apparently. Apparently. And she responds by turning into a dragon. And preparing to fry Cruella, except this was tactically basically the stupidest thing she could have done. Yeah, it was not a good plan. Because, of course, as you know, as we all know, Cruella has animal controlling breath. Yeah, it's her one superpower. And Cruella's like, And it's a real superpower, not Emma's bullshit. Tell when people are lying superpower. Yeah, so she uses her magic breath on Maleficent and is like, all right, now go to sleep, which is funny because, you know, it's Maleficent. Yeah. Um, Cruella took a pretty big chance when she pissed off Maleficent that she would turn into a dragon and not use the sleeping curse on her. I think that's what Cruella was going for. I think that's why she was being so upfront and callous about, you know, oh, I left your baby to die to provoke her into doing her big showy magic. Okay, she needed to get her angry enough that she would turn into a dragon and not use the sleeping curse. Like, she needed to get past a rational point of anger. Yes, I feel like that's probably what Corella was going for there. Although, forgive me, that is definitely playing with fire. Oh. Anyway, the title card is Dalmatians, but probably not 101 of them. Running through the woods in Storybrooke. It's weird because they start at one tree and then disappear at another tree. Neither one is near the edge of the screen. It's not... They didn't put a lot of work into the puppy CGI, I'll tell you what. Meh. Which is actually kind of a shame because... Because the puppy animation in the original 101 Dalmatians cartoon is so revolutionary. Honest to God, you should watch the 101 Dalmatians movie just for the design alone. It is such a gorgeous movie. I love the sketch. I love how sketchy it is. It's, yeah. Yeah, it, and that really helps to make it feel alive. Yes, yes. It, it has a warmth that CGI just doesn't. Okay. Back in the loft, Mary Margaret says, You're clearly still upset. Okay. My theory is that Mary Margaret is trying to hypnotize Emma with the horrible, horrible shirt she's wearing. It looks like one of those weird hypnotic hidden message shirts that creepy losers try to get girls to go out with them by wearing. It looks to me like it has a pattern of tiny vulvas. (laughs) What? I think we're in Rorschach territory here. Look at it! First place I went was Peacock's. But not like peacocks, not like full peacocks, like the eyes you see on peacocks' feathers. I knew what you meant. Yeah, yeah. I think it looks like little vulvas. Anyway, her shirt is gross and so is she. Yeah, she is. Okay, so let me just summarize this conversation. Mary Margaret and David are like, oh my god, it was like 30 years ago that we killed the baby. How long are you going to be mad at us? And I was like, forever, because you taught me. That killing babies is wrong. And they're like, and you wouldn't have learned that lesson if we hadn't killed a baby. Because mm. you mm. would have turned evil. Because that's what the unicorn in my dream told me. God, Max, I hate them so much. I hate them so much. They're pretty terrible. I mean, this whole scene is basic. Ugh. I mean, that's this whole scene. I'm kind of surprised they didn't go the, you know, we did the, we threw the baby into the death pit so that you wouldn't become evil. So technically we did it for you. So technically this is your fault. Yeah. Mary Margaret says, oh, you not throwing a baby, like, the fact that you say that you would never do that is exactly why we had to do that. 
Most oh my pe- god! Most people wouldn't throw babies into death pits. I mean, I'm pretty sure my parents didn't kill a baby when my mother was pregnant with me. And yet I also have never thrown a baby into a death pit. Likewise. How weird, we right? dodged a bullet, apparently. Oh my god, I hate them so much, Max. Ugh. They are the worst. And Mary Margaret says, it was worth it. It was worth what we did to Maleficent to make sure that you were good. And luckily, Regina comes in to save this scene. Yes, Emma is Emma's fight is interrupted by her girlfriend coming in. And unfortunately filling them in on, Hey guys, so apparently we still have to deal with Zelina's ass, and Robin Hood's in danger, so I guess I'm going to have to deal with that. Yeah, Regina comes in to tell them about the terrible plot from last week. Yeah. But Zelina and Gold are working together. Which is going to be a problem because Regina needs to get to New York to save Robin. And if Gold is working with Zelina, then they need to distract Gold. Regina says luckily she knows just how to handle Gold. Gilligan cut to Belle. Who is not wearing one of her more flattering outfits. Oh, really? I like it. It's, it's got, she's got a real sexy librarian vibe going on right now with her pencil skirt and her white button-up shirt with the black velvet collar. Honestly, I think both parts of the outfit work individually. I think together they do not. It's just, it makes for some really awkward lines around the midsection. Mm, yeah, but she is standing behind a counter, so that's okay. Yeah, so we only see the shirt. Anyway, Regina comes in and she's like, hey, I need to deal with your ex-husband. And Belle's like, okay. And Regina's like, I'm glad you feel that way. (laughs) Actually, Belle is pretty enthusiastic to take down Rumpel, which makes me question what happens next. But we'll get to that. Mm. Yeah, I feel like we're not getting the whole story, even when we find out what the whole story is. Yeah, agreed. Okay. Meanwhile, the author will not shut the hell up. So I'm glad you said that because I really want to talk about white male writers and how terrible they are. Hmm. So the author, the author comes in to Rumpel's cabin where they're going to stash him until they can make Emma dark and then use that darkness to make the ink that the author needs to power his quill so that he can change the world and give them their happy endings. And he's all like, oh, it's rustic, like Hemingway or... Thoreau. Which is odd because I thought of a different reference right away. Because he points out the antlers on the wall. And what did you think of? Well, I thought, hmm, that's familiar. Who do I know who uses antlers in all of his decorating? (laughs) Well, I mean, toxic masculinity kind of has its own coded language, no matter whether you're animated or whether you're... Some giant hairy dude in an entire French town has an enormous boner for. Yeah. Okay, wait. Let me tell you about Thoreau. Okay. I hate him. I, I don't actually think I'm familiar with any of his works. Okay. Wait, wait. Is is he? Unwalden Pond. Okay, never mind. I am. I was like, isn't he the guy who like just got high in his mom's house next to a lake for like a year and wrote about that? He's he is every white privilege soaked, well actually not all men that you run into on Twitter. That's the book where he says that he's suspicious of any enterprise that requires new shoes. What a classist thing to say. And okay. He decides he's going to go out on his own and, like, rough it and be all libertarian, you know? And he 
built his own house, although really he kind of just, like, hammers wood together into a shack. But he's like, my friend gave me some land and some wood and I hammered together this house. Why doesn't everyone have their own house? It's literally what he says. Anyway, my point, though, is that the author comes in being all white male, setting himself up in a long tradition of white men who think that they're way more interesting than they actually are. That was the point I wanted to make. Although, isn't the point of this episode that he's not, like, the one time he tries to be a focal point, he realizes what a horrible, horrible idea that is? Well, I mean, it doesn't turn out well, but I don't think it's changed his thought process. He certainly hasn't become a better writer. No. He thinks Emma becoming dark is a surprising twist. He is right in that it is a good story, though. What bothers me about the author is that he does know how stories should work. He does have good ideas for stories. He realizes later in this season that Regina is the real protagonist of the show. It's just he has the once upon a time problem where he has good ideas, but he has terrible execution. Honestly, if the Snow Queen, if Ingrid was our lady of wasted potential, he is the god that she serves. (laughs) Anyway, he introduces himself to Rumpel as Isaac, so we get his name now, which is Isaac. Oh, cool. We don't have to keep calling him the author. But we are going to. Okay. And Rumpel's like, you talk too much. Yes. Rumpel tells him to shut the fuck up, and author's like, lol, no. Hey, look at this fur. Mmm, perfume. Yeah, he decides to fondle and smell Cruella's fur. Gross. Yeah. Or romantic, if you're... From, like, the 90s. Gross. Definitely gross. Rumpel books it out of there while the author is fondling Cruella's fur because he hears Belle calling him from the wishing well. Yeah, which is not necessary. We do know he can hear his name anytime someone says it three times. Well, I mean, she didn't go to the wishing well because that's where he would hear her. She went to the wishing well, so she says, because it's where he proposed to her and she wants to, like... Make him remember the good man that he used to be. Mm. It's interesting. Regina referred to it earlier as she needed uh, Belle's help dealing with her ex-husband. Yeah. Is it interesting that they haven't actually gotten divorced? They're still married? Yeah. It, but it made me think of, uh, you know, in Marvel, people refer to the Vision as the Scarlet Witch's ex-husband. Didn't he die? He did die. You're not someone's ex-husband when you die. Also, I don't think they were legally married. They were married by a space tree. So I don't think that counts. Well, Rumple and Belle were married by Dr. Hopper. So Wanda and the Vision's wedding is probably more legit than that. Yeah. It was actually a double wedding, and uh, the other person was Mantis, who was marrying the space tree. Okay, that's not that's not a thing. You can't do that. You can't officiate your own you wedding. You can't officiate your own wedding, space tree. Mantis is Mantis the person who's been most screwed over by the Marvel movies. Uh, okay, so wait, who got screwed over more than Mantis? No, 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 no. 
It's that her backstory in the Marvel comics is terrible. So I'm not sure her story in the Marvel movies actually that much worse. Okay, we're going to do this real quick, and I do kind of want you to leave it in the episode. Okay. Okay, so in the comics, Mantis is the daughter of a Vietnamese woman and an American GI who got her pregnant during uh, the Vietnam War. Sure, sure. Uh, She was raised by an order of monks to be the Celestial Madonna, a woman who is basically a cosmic broodmare. Okay, one, gross, but two, I feel like we're really mixing theologies right now. I don't think it's part of the Christian philosophy. I, I mean, I was, that was going to be my next point, but... Yeah, because they were raising her from birth to marry a space tree and give birth to space Jesus. Space Jesus is half tree? And half bug woman. Okay, where does the bug woman genetics come from? Oh, uh, fucking the tree turned her into a bug woman. That's not how genetics work. No, no, it's not. But the interesting thing... Oh, okay, what's the interesting thing? The interesting thing is that they weren't sure whether the Celestial Madonna was her or whether it was Wanda Maximoff. Okay, okay. Now, the big thing is how you would tell who the Celestial Madonna is, is that they gave birth to a cosmic godlike being, blah, blah, blah. So, Mantis gave birth to some tree person who is in, like, three comics ever and then was never mentioned again... Wanda Maximoff had twins, one of whom is basically God. Are you saying Wanda Maximoff is, in fact, the Celestial Madonna? I'm saying that you could have a very strong argument for that. Especially because, depending on your views on robotics, it's possible to... For the vision to fulfill the space tree part of the prophecy? Oh no, oh no. You could theoretically assume that her twins were the product of a virgin birth. Oh yeah, who did father them? That's the thing. Technically, she did. How she got pregnant was through magic. She literally just used magic to get pregnant. Well, I guess if you're the Scarlet Witch, that's what you do. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so now I'm thinking about how the Madonna is associated with Robin's Egg Blue. Mm-hmm. And now I'm thinking of the Scarlet Witch as kind of like a red Madonna, and I'm really here for this. Well, let's be clear, that storyline was hot garbage, as was most of the adventure stuff from the 70s. I don't know how I'm going to incorporate the Celestial Madonna stuff into my Marvel AU that takes place in a title office where... Wanda Maximoff is a title researcher, but I think I'm going to try to figure it out. Okay. I have faith in you. Pietro's the escrow officer. They work as a team. So Rumple and Belle have a conversation where Belle's like, you need to be honest with me. Like, you haven't been honest with me our whole relationship. You just need to tell me honestly why you're here. And he responds by ripping out the dark coal that he has where he should have a heart he's like and guess what it turns out you can't be evil all the time or this shit happens yeah if your heart becomes truly evil then the last speck of goodness that you were the only one who saw in me will die and i'll be an evil soulless killing machine he introduces it to her as like 
the good that you saw in me is going to disappear and basically he's going to become all the dark one and no rumple like like Cole and the source of all evil in that season of charmed yes he's trying to except he's doing the opposite here because Cole the source was trying to extinguish the one bit of light that was Cole uh while Phoebe was trying to extinguish the one source of light <laughs> that was Cole god Phoebe's the worst anyway it's real nice of the show to let us know that doing evil things turns your heart dark. We knew that before from... When Mary Margaret killed Cora, we saw that put a little speck of darkness in her. Well, Rumpel's heart is almost entirely dark. Isn't it weird that she didn't have that speck of darkness before she killed Cora, even though she threw Maleficent's daughter into a pit? Yeah, you'd think that would have come up at some point in the past. I feel like the morality of this show is in question. Hmm. Wonder if that'll come back later this episode. Anyway. He pushes his heart back into his body with his back facing the camera so they don't have to do an effect for that. Yeah. And And then, okay, I just, I love this part because, wait, first, just let me say, to all of the people who date men out there, you don't have to fix him. Just let him go. It's not your responsibility to fix him. That having been said, oh my god, I love this part so much. Belle's like, I still believe in you. Maybe I threw away that chipped cup too soon. But on the other hand... But on the other hand, Will just kisses so much better than you do. It's great. Oh! She pulls it, she says, you know, maybe I shouldn't have thrown away that uh, that chipped cup. Pulls him in for a kiss, and then, you know what the real problem is? Will's got a way better dick than you do. Yep, Will just, like, drives it home for me in a way you never did. And he's like, wait, what's happening right now? (laughs) And then Regina comes out from the woods, holding Belle's heart and controlling her. And she's like, nah, 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 nah. And then she tells Belle, you know, go home and forget that I'm in control of your heart. Which she does, because she's in control of her heart, but... This is the part that's strange to me, because Belle was seeming like she was really on board to, you know, get back at Rumpel. So I don't know why Regina thought she needed to rip out her heart. Honestly, I feel like it might just be for verisimilitude. I think maybe she cleared this with Belle ahead of time, because consent is important. It is, but no, she told Belle to forget this. And then she tells Rumpel that she's going to kill Belle if Rumpel tries to stop her. Well, yeah, she said that in front of Rumpel. I feel like Belle wouldn't have signed on for Regina having her heart, given their history. But she is pretty forgiving. Yeah, Belle's overlooked some pretty heinous shit. But Rumpel's all, I know you, you're good now. You're not going to crush your heart. And Regina's like, really? And he's like, oh, okay, yeah. She's like, you want to take that chance? He's like, okay, not really. Yeah. And besides, it's not like anything she does is going to ruin his plan. She wants to go have her own story in her own episodes. And honestly, that's not really Rumpel's concern right now. Yeah, she's like, look, I'm going to go deal with my story. You can do whatever here. I don't give a shit. And then she walks away. Concise. All right. So then we cut to, just in case you weren't hit over the head with dead white male authors enough, the author sitting in the cabin reading The Great Gatsby. Bluff. Which, I mean, of all of the authors we've brought up, F. Scott Fitzgerald is one I actually enjoy. I enjoy The Great Gatsby. Hemingway? Trash. Thoreau? Garbage person. Great Gatsby's okay. It's okay. 
But Corella rightly points out, yeah, it's nice that you're reading good writers because you're never going to be one. Which, uh, solid point. Yeah, right? Solid point, good burn. I think that he part of the reason they have him reading The Great Gatsby is because they want to set the scene for the flashbacks, which clearly take place during the Jazz Age. See, I think it takes place in an alternate story universe called The Past. Okay, there's definitely jazzy music. There are girls in flopper dresses. We get there by reading The Great Gatsby. I think that the universe that Cruella de Vil inhabits in this flashback is the same universe as The Great Gatsby. See, I think it's just like a generic universe for when you're writing about the early part of the 1900s. Okay, and well, the reason I bring this up, of course, is because 101 Dalmatians was written in and takes place in the 50s. Mm. TV is a major part of that story. Right. But then again, how old is Cruella supposed to be in that story? If she's supposed to be in her 40s or 50s... Well, no, she's a contemporary of Anita. How old's Anita? I'd say ambiguously 30s, right? All right, well, then the, then, then the timeline does not match up, but that's okay, because Once Upon a Time is here to tell us... Time does not matter. Yeah. Also, Anita's super does not exist in this continuity. That's a shame. Mm, she is awesome. Also, Roger's awesome. Yeah, he is. Seriously, watch 101 Dalmatians. Again, if you haven't already. So, Corella wants something that the author took from her. And she, uh, she's like, hey, you know, I could just have a whole bunch of dogs tear you apart. And he's like, mm, I don't really see that happening. And he tells her empty threats make bad storytelling. Which, I'm sorry, isn't this show mostly built off empty threats? Right? That's not the tr- that's not the case at all. Ugh, I hate him. But she's, she's like, hmm, well, I do like how confident you are now. That's nice. Are you, like, into them as a couple, story-wise? Honestly, honestly kind of. Because I kind of am, too. Yeah, and she, she's like, okay, yeah, you're confident. I like that. Why don't you help me out for old time's sake? But he is not into it. Yeah, he's like, "Mm, no. I remember how our last encounter went and it didn't end super great for me. She drops the tantalizing piece of information that he's the person who made her the way she is. Hmm. Which? Huh. No. Well, yeah, I mean, he spilled all that ink on her. Her hair would be blonde if he hadn't spilled all that ink on her. Spoilers. Also, we learned that she never has to do makeup because of that. We'll get to it. I was thinking about doing my makeup like that. Like, when I go out for the evening, not like to wear to work. But she tells him to enjoy the upper hand while it's still on his wrist. What a great threat. That's a great threat. We flash back to Cruella as a young woman in her... Attic bedroom. Her attic prison. Listening to the radio, which makes reference to the Murray Club in London, which did not open until the 30s. Hmm. Not that time matters, just want to put another marker out there. Now, this Corella has blonde locks and less severe makeup. And is listening to the radio play a jazz version of the Cruella de Vil song. Love it. I really enjoy that song a lot. Yeah, it's a great song. Roger was a musical genius. Anita was right to marry him. Mm, mm. So Gorilla's mother comes in and she's like, oh, 
oh, radio, you stole this. And Kroll's like, yeah, I'm fucking bored. I've read every book in this room like a bajillion times. Let me have this fucking radio. I just want to say here that, I mean, I know she's bored. I know she's been trapped in an attic forever. But this explicitly starts with her rejecting writing. And then it's going to be about her relationship with the author. Hmm. Hmm. Speaking of, the author shows up at the front door. And he is being creepy and suspicious as hell right now. Okay, I know he's the author. I know that everything he's saying is a lie. But I still am super, super creeped out by it. He tells Cruella's mother that he's there because he travels around collecting stories for the newspaper. And he wants to hear about her dog training. She is a famous dog trainer. And he is a journalist who has interviewed kings and queens. And he wants to get her story. And then he sees the portraits she has, these three portraits she has of three men. And he's like, ooh, are these your dead husbands? Tell me about your dead husbands and how they died. That's interesting. Yeah, that's a good story. And she's like, these are real people who actually died. That's really messed up. She's like, I'm genuinely in pain. What the fuck is wrong with you? And I'm like, yeah, what the fuck is wrong with you? And she says, you clearly are someone with no love in their life, because if you if you ever love someone, you would know how horrible the things you are saying are. Now, look, I know that he's actually the author and he's trying to get the story so that he can write the book. But, you know, maybe he's just also a terrible watcher, because I feel like Uatu would not do this. Uatu would not barge into your house and talk about all of your dead loved ones. Uatu does have the advantage of being able to see through objects from space. Yeah, whatever. It's always something, isn't it? I don't know how anyone could masturbate in the Marvel Universe knowing that Uatu is watching them. Maybe it makes it easier for some people. Ugh. Anyway, as the author is leaving the house, Cruella's like, Hey, hey you, I'm trapped in the attic and I've got a great story for you. He's like, oh Yeah. Anyway, cut to present day. Well, walking somewhere, I guess home from school, maybe? Sure, about town. Uh, Henry encounters Pongo, and he's he's all, hey, shouldn't you be with that creepy person everyone hates? And Pongo takes off because no one wants to live with Dr. Hopper. And Henry chases after Pongo, and then once he's in an alley, Pongo starts growling at him and barking at him, and it's really scary. They use a not- subtle amount of cgi to give pongo an angry face sometimes it doesn't look great but it is really freaky looking so very uncanny valley anyway corella has pongo herd uh henry into her car yeah yeah so back in the past corella is hanging out alone in her attic bedroom when there is a tap on the window (gasps) who could it be And she discovers that the author has found a way to smuggle her the key. The key to her attic prison. She uh, uses the key to escape the house. She notices somehow her mother's dogs are all asleep. And the author is outside waiting for her. And she's like, how did you pull this off? And he's like, do you want to ask questions? Or do you want to ride in my fucking awesome car? Yeah. She uh, she mentions that her mother will be very cross if she finds out about this. Her mother's a very cruel woman who tore out all of her favorite flowers just because she didn't like the smell. 
the trumpet flowers. Mm. Anyway, he asks her if she wants to go somewhere quiet and talk. And she's like, no, I want to go somewhere loud and dance. Yeah, because it's her first day out of the attic, dude. He takes her to the Murray Club, which is in London. Mm-hmm. So just like we're usually in ambiguous medieval England, now we're in ambiguous 20s slash 30s slash 40s London. There's a lot of flappers here. Also, I, this set is... I do not believe this is a cabaret in London. I really, really don't. I believe it's a stage somewhere. I don't even believe that. I think it's just a really nice living room in Vancouver. I think it's a really nice living room where people are having a jazz age themed fundraiser for the local Rotary Club. Now, uh, Corolla has changed outfits. Yeah, she's got the little flapper headband now and she's got a black flapper dress. She looks great. She takes a sip of gin and is like, oh, gin is fucking disgusting. And then she keeps going with it. Well, yeah. He tells her she'll get used to the taste. And of course, gin is what Cruella drinks. But I just had to stop and point out that cocktails, the way we know them in the modern era, are a result of trying to cover up the taste of the god-awful gin that bootleggers made. Hmm. But he talks about how her story's great. Uh, It's a classic Cinderella story. And she tells him it's even more than that, because it turns out that her father didn't die of a heart attack. He was murdered by her mother. And he's like, that's even better. A Cinderella story with a Black Widow twist. Which, it's like half of the Cinderella stories. Yeah, like either he's an asshole or he... Also, that's her dad. Yeah, that's pretty fucked up. I mean, I feel like, you know, I think we go to the Granny Weatherwax well a lot. But it's time to go there again. All right. The reason the author is being such a jackass right now is because, as he'll say, as he'll say to them later, they don't really matter. They're just a bucket of stories, which is not a phrase, but it's not. It's not. It's not a particularly good invention either, writer dude. Anyway, these people aren't real. They are just stories. So. The author is not treating them like they are real people with real emotions. That's what Granny Weatherwax said evil was. Treating people as though they weren't people. Yeah. Which is what David and Mary Margaret did. Because they saw Lily as just a means to finish off their quest and not as an actual person. Like, they literally saw her as an object. They refused to accept that she was a child. I think that's... Also why the witches books are probably my favorite uh, Discworld series, because they all kind of deal with meta-narratives to a different degree. The first one is meta-narratives in a Shakespearean sense. Is the second one uh, Witches Abroad, because that's fairy tales. Second one is Witches Abroad. Third one is Folk Tales, Lords and Ladies. Mm-hmm. Then we take a diversion and we do Phantom of the Opera yeah. in Masquerade. Which is, which is operas. Yes. It's operas. And then we go into classic horror with Carpe uh, Jugulum. I do love the witch stories. Although, as I told you, uh, as I told you earlier this week, not on, not on microphone, I feel like as far as Discworld goes, for me, it's witches, guards, guards, death, moist, tied for first. 
Mm-hmm. The wizard stuff below that. Mm-hmm. Every book ever written. Wow. And then the Rince Wind stories below that. Wow. Even under Thoreau? Yeah. Wow. Oof. Yeah. A lot of hate for Rince Wind. I just... I just... I really hate Rincewind. And I think it's a problem because the first Discworld story is a Rincewind story. And you absolutely don't need to read Discworld in order. Well, you should read it in certain orders, but not the publishing order. Yeah. You should start either with... I'd say Watcher Witches. I mean, I would say start with the witch books. Right. But specifically, you should either start with Weird Sisters or Guards Guards. Yeah. Those are the, uh, that's the ones I always start people out with. Just one of those two books. Or Monstrous Regiment. I love Monstrous Regiment. It's a standalone, but. I don't, I, Monstrous Regiment is great. Because I didn't read it until I was already well, well enmeshed in Discworld. I'm not sure if it requires that you kind of know more about the world to read it. Oh, it was one of the first ones I read. Oh, okay. And I, I came out of, and I hadn't read, like, any Ankh-Morp pork stuff. I had just been reading the witch stuff. Until oh, really? Then. Yeah. Which is why I feel like I'm not a huge fan of the uh, Nightwatch stuff. I don't, like, dislike it or anything, but it's it's not my top-tier stuff when it comes to Discworld. That's funny, because it's also a deconstruction of stories. Guards, Guards is a deconstruction of the Chosen One story. Guards, Guards, and Weird Sisters... Both contain a misplaced king child. Hmm. Yeah, they do. And, of course, the Susan death stuff is great. Oh, yeah. I was I was considering Susan part of the death books. Oh, oh no. Because she's basically the main character of the death books. Yes. I've actually never read Mort. Mort is fine, but Mort is fine because it sets up the death books. Once you get into the death books, you're... You don't really need more. Yeah. Well, I started with soul music for that. My favorite Discworld book is probably a standalone, although it does heavily feature Susan Death, and that's uh, Thief of Time. Ah. I mean, Thief of Time. Yeah, it, it is very much in your wheelhouse. I'm sorry, we should get back to talking about Once Upon a Time. Yeah, this isn't Welcome to Ankh-Morpork. Pork. And- although... <laughs> All roads do lead to Ankh-Morpork. All roads lead away from Ankh-Morpork. People just take them the wrong direction. <laughs> All right, let's go back to it. So Corella invites the author to dance with her, and he's like, uh, I don't dance. I, I I, write stories. I don't dance in them. Yeah, I just write about people dancing. I don't actually do the dancing. I did notice, by the way, because I was watching for it, that he's taking notes in a little notepad with a pen. That is not the quill, which means that what he does, like, I'm just really fascinated with the process of how it is that the author wrote the Once Upon a Time book. And this means he walked around and took notes so that he could sit down and craft the words for the story. They didn't, like, come out magically, like, with uh, Rita Skeeter's quill. Yeah. Hmm. So back in the real world, as the author is having fun dancing with uh, Corella in the past, in the present we go to a couple we're much more invested in. Mm. Regina is getting ready to go to New York and face her wicked sister, and Emma just wants her to be safe. 
Emma offers to come with her, but Regina's like, no, you're needed here. And Emma's, okay, fine, but you need protection. And she gives her a gun. Which, what is Regina going to do with that? Yeah, like, she she should at least have a lesson first. I mean, oh my god, it's not just point and click people. They could have one of those sexy shooting lessons like Marge Simpson had with Ruth Powers. Yes! Yes. Ooh, I should do that for Gal Pals. Oh, yeah, the Marge Simpson-Ruth Powers episode? Yes. Alright, so what's going on with Jennifer Morrison's face? Well, she's supposed to be more morally compromised this episode, so they have her wearing less makeup. Okay, We'll see this again later in the last season. She's a regular cast member when they're trying to show how done with being the savior she is by having her not wear makeup. Look, she's a beautiful woman. Like, she looks she looks beautiful on screen. But it's really noticeable because everyone is wearing, you know, television amounts of makeup. And she's wearing, like, literally none. She's not wearing natural looking makeup she's wearing no makeup yeah it's it's noticeable it didn't bother me because i get what they're going for here she's stressed she's losing faith in her her family women shouldn't have to wear makeup i mean i know that's not what they're going for there but no it's fine it's just it's very noticeable on a show where everyone wears lots of makeup all the time it's very noticeable and it's not the kind of choice that i would expect once upon a time to make like So usually when women cry on television, they do, like, a single tear down their perfectly made-up face. Pretty crying. So on Buffy, when Buffy is allowed to ugly cry, it's awesome, and I believe that they made that choice. I always go for Willow for ugly crying, because it seemed like they'd always get Allison Hannigan to break the fuck down. Well, she's good at it. Yeah. But I just... I don't feel like let's put her in no makeup to show her as morally compromised is a choice that once upon a time would make, but here we are. Uh, This is their saying goodbye to each other is interrupted by uh, Corella sending them a hostage video of Henry with really good resolution on the phone. Yeah, I mean, Regina's still rocking a Blackberry, and yet the video is... So crisp and clear. On a modern phone, it would not be out of place, but it does not go on the phone that Regina has. Yeah. And also somehow she's sending a video to two different phones at once, which is not something I think you could do at this time. You know what? It's magic. It is magic. It's magic. But... Her hostage demands are that they kill the author and bring his dead corpse to her, and then she will release Henry. And you know what? They should. Fuck the author. It's a Slayer situation. A new one will be called. Yeah, it is. Rumpel's going to say that in this very next scene at Rumpel's cabin. Yep, back at the torture cabin. The author is talking about how much less fun stories are when you're living them and not reading about them. No, which... no, 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 no. That's not, that's not what he says. He says that it's not as much fun to get lost in a good book since he spent the last 30 years trapped in a book. Uh, yeah, you thought he said something clever and metaphorical. He's terrible. I hate him. Rumpel comes into the room and he's all, Yeah, so Krill wants you dead because, al- because of your history together. And and also I know your history together and the fact that you two tried to hide it from me is dumb. Dumb and pointless. Yeah. And the author's like, don't kill me. And Rumpel's like, I'm not going to kill you. My plan is for Emma to go dark. 
and there's a bunch of different scenarios that could play out here, and all of them end with Emma going dark, so chill out. There's a real Batman Gambit scenario going on here, by the way, where the exact events as they go down is what Rumpel needed to happen, but there's no way he could have orchestrated it to the detail that it happens. But honestly, I feel like he was playing the long odds because there are a whole bunch of different ways this could have gone down, and I see most of them ending with Emma doing the thing that will turn her dark, apparently. So you think his plan was, if I bring a bunch of evil women to Storybrooke, eventually Emma will turn evil? Eventually Emma will kill one of them, which apparently turns you evil. Oh. Oh. If I keep flooding this town with enough evil women, eventually Emma will kill one of them. I have so much to say about the morality of Once Upon a Time. Mm. Anyway, he's all like, by the way, why does she hate you so much? And then they do the annoying thing that they did on Lost all the time, where he gives Rumpel a folded up piece of paper and Rumpel looks at it and is like, ah, yes, of course she would be mad. But we, the audience, don't get to see it and there's no reason for them to be keeping it from us other than to keep it from us. Also, Rumpel said he already knew their deal, so... He knew that they, he knew that Cruella wanted him dead, but he didn't know why. And honestly, I don't think he cared. Yeah. He's just satisfying his curiosity now. So, back in the flashback, uh, the author and Cruella have closed down this club. It is 2 a.m., everyone's getting kicked out. Don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. And he doesn't want to go home, not when he could get laid, by showing her the quill. Hmm. Yeah, he takes her aside to show her his quill. And boy, is he really not good at keeping his secret identity Loki. We don't know how long he's been doing this. To be honest, this is what I would be if I had some sort of superpower. I would want to keep it to myself because that's safer, but I would just be telling everybody all the time because I'd be too excited about it. Yeah, so he tells her about his deal as the author and that she's in a story realm And she does not believe that because that's nonsense. She's like, what do you mean I'm in a story realm? And he says, well, what year is it? And she says, oh, who keeps track of trivialities like what year it is? Look, he he tells her this isn't an actual place. This is just a setting for a story. Yep, this is just vague past land. And she's like, are you sure you're not just drunk? And he's like, oh, you don't think I'm an omnipotent god being? What if I give you some fucking superpowers? Yep. I think this is supposed to be the first time he alters a story. This is absolutely supposed to be the first time he alters a story. It's one of the things that's amazing about this episode. This episode began telling us, the audience, that it was going to be Cruella's evil origin story. But actually, it's the evil origin story of the author. His love for Cruella made him evil. (laughs) Yeah, so he writes down on a piece of paper something to... We don't see exactly what he wrote, but something to the effect of... And then Cruella was wearing a really big trashy necklace, and then she is! She's like, I love big trashy necklaces! Now, honestly, so do I. No no shade on big trashy necklaces, but that is what it is. Yeah, and he's like, how about a pair of diamond earrings to match? And she's like, ooh... Hmm. Yeah, she's like, wait, I think I need that pen. I think you need to write that pen into my hand. And as she reaches for it, he tells her to be careful. There's no telling what can happen if the ink is spilled, which... Okay. 
I feel like this doesn't super pay off later. No, it does not. But it does let us know. I mean, the thing with the ink is dumb. But it does let us know that the quill and ink must be used together for the magic to work. And he tells her, speaking of together, we should be together forever. And she's like, I'd love to, but unfortunately, I need some way to get out of my mother's grasp. If only there was some way I could escape from her and her pack of vicious dogs. And he's like, oh, here, I'll just write down on a piece of paper that you have animal controlling breath. And then she does. And he he offers to, you know, okay, now that you don't have to be afraid of your mother's dogs anymore, let's drive away. And she's like, no, I need to confront my mother. I need to have a character-defining moment, and I need to do it alone. This is actually really reminding me of the scene in Carrie after Carrie uses her powers at the prom when she goes home and stops her mother's heart. Mm. This really is a Carrie situation, isn't it? Kind of, although she... Look, here's the thing. We're going to find out that Cruella was a bad seed and that her mother locked her up to save the rest of the world. But her mother named her Cruella and locked her in an attic and trained dogs to corral her. Let's not act like she's entirely blameless. But I do really enjoy... Well, we'll we'll get into it. So she, she leaves to go confront her mother. She kisses a napkin and then tucks it in his pocket. Yeah, to, like, leave the lipstick marks on it. Back in the present, David uses his looking at signs power to review... Okay, they... I don't get this. She was... It was a video call, but they recorded it so David could go through it and see that they were right outside of the toll bridge, which no one calls the troll bridge, which is nice. Oh, I know. I didn't have to get mad about that. Is this a season one reference? I feel like we haven't seen the Toll Bridge in forever. We have not. We have not seen the Toll Bridge since season... uh, Maybe we saw it in season two, but definitely not since then. Anyway, they're going to go down there and save Henry. So, unfortunately, I'm on David's side here because he mentions that the author dropped the flask uh, that they gave him. And they could, you know, use a locator spell on it. it. He apparently gave it to the fairies for some reason. So they could go get it from the fairies and uh, and use a locator spell to find uh, the author. And then ask him about his deal with Corella. And I was like, yeah, you know what, though? You're trash and I don't trust you. So I'm going to go find Henry by myself. And you guys do whatever you're going to do. I do like that Regina's like, okay, why don't I just go kill Corella? And Mary Margaret's like... Wait, you... wait, she doesn't just say... She doesn't just say kill Cruella. She says turn Cruella into outerwear. <laughs> and Mary Margaret's... Mary Margaret acts all scandalized and... Regina says, what? We're not worried about my heart. I love Regina so much. So Emma's like, fine. You two go get the locator spell from the fairies and find the author... I'm going to go after Corella with Regina and Hook. The two people I actually love and trust. Yeah. Mary Margaret's like, well, I'm a tracker. I could help you. And Emma says, no, I need people I can trust for this. And that's not you. So as Emma and her two true loves are walking through the woods. Unfortunately, they're trying to convince Emma to forgive her parents. Yeah. Regina's like, seriously, they kept a secret from you. Whatever. Get the fuck over it. And 
I was like, I'm sorry, I don't need lessons in getting over things, miss. I swore a vendetta against a ten-year-old and destroyed an entire kingdom for a hundred years because of it. Okay, I feel like every time they mention how old Mary Margaret was when what went down went down, she gets younger. Because she was definitely not ten when that happened. And I feel like they referenced her being like twelve when she was talking... I don't know. I think she's always been 10, but... She definitely wasn't 10. We saw that scene, and we know there is no way in hell Mary Margaret is, what, six years younger than Regina? Nuh-uh. No way. Yeah. Well, and also, they keep playing up the she betrayed your secret and got Daniel killed. Like, that second part is the part that matters. Mm. Also got Regina trapped in a loveless marriage to a guy who was formally engaged to her mom. A guy who was really, really creepy and also Snow's father. A- anyway, Emma and Emma shuts down the conversation with my favorite line, which is, well, I guess it's not, I mean, there's a lot of good lines in here, but Emma shuts down the conversation with, if you care so much, you forgive them. Yeah, and I love, Emma is us in this scene because... Hook's like, you're gonna forgive them eventually. Like, you need, like, we all have done bad things. You've forgiven me and Regina for doing much worse things, which, arguable. Yeah. But I mean, Regina definitely did worse. Hook, Hmm. maybe not so much. But Emma becomes us when she's like, yeah, but you never pretended to be paragons of virtue. You were always very upfront about who you are and what you did. Like, I can handle people being awful people if they're honest about it, which is... Speaking of pretending to be paragons of virtue, Regina is wearing a very virtuous outfit right now. She's wearing a white turtleneck with a thin gold chain and a camel overcoat and looks gorgeous, as always. But it's very off-brand for her, but she still looks gorgeous. That is all. So, cut to... Cut to Cruella and Henry, and Cruella is trying to play Angry Birds on Henry's phone. (sighs) God. She's doing it with her gloves on, which is probably why she's so bad at it. Well, they're leather gloves, so leather's capacitive. So, Henry grabs, apparently somebody's been drinking out in the woods, which I want to see the story of that. Yeah, right? But he manages to find a piece of broken glass and cut through his bonds so that he can run away. And Cruella's just so annoyed because she was so close to beating this level. She didn't know that you had to boomerang the bird. Anyway, she orders Pongo to go after Henry. Back in the flashback, the author hears a knock on his hotel door and he assumes it's Cruella, but shocker, it's Cruella's mom and her angry CGI face dogs. Yep, her super mad Dalmatians. And she's like, what have you done to my daughter? And he's all, you're a murderer. I don't have to explain anything to you. And she's like, haven't you ever seen the ring? She's the evil thing. That's why I kept her locked up in the attic. We've been pretty upfront about this, but honestly, it's a pretty good twist. It's a great twist. It is a revealing reveal. Yeah, because this episode really plays on our prior knowledge of the show. It's like, oh, look, it's another person who's evil because they had a bad parent until Swerve. Turns out Corella was always evil. She killed her dad using the flowers that uh, Corella's mom ended up ripping up, up. Turns out those flowers were poison, and she used that poison to kill her dad and Corella's mom's next two husbands. Yep. 
And he's like, but she's a blonde angel. God, the author's terrible. She Anyway, Krell's mom was like, I just locked her in the attic because I was hoping she would grow out of being a murderer, but she didn't. And also, she couldn't turn her in because at the end of the day, she was still her daughter. Yeah, and being locked in an attic is not fun, but I'm assuming being in some sort of asylum in this vague time period would be somewhat less fun. Yeah, probably. Like, I know we've been saying that she isn't a great mom, but... Honestly, by the standards of this time period, she's probably doing about as well as you could expect. Yeah, yeah. I I just think if you name your daughter Cruella, you should have certain expectations. Maybe it's a family name. Maybe she is also Cruella. Maybe she is Cruella Sr. Yeah. So Cruella's mom tells him she takes the things that uh, you love and she destroys them. The only thing she cares about is is hurting people. So basically she's like Snow, except she does it on purpose instead of pretending to be good. Hmm. Cruella's mom leaves to go back to her house to look for Cruella, and the author is like, okay, she did kind of throw me off. I'm gonna check, uh, I'm gonna check my pen, see if that's safe. Oops, it's not. Cruella took it. Yep, Cruella took the magic pen. Meanwhile, at Cruella's mother's mansion... Cruella and her mother have their standoff. Her mother tries to stick the dogs on her, but Cruella has magic dog control and breath now, y'all. So she breathes on the dogs and then orders them to kill her mother, which is gruesome. Yeah, she she has the Dalmatians tear her mother apart. I mean, it happens off screen, but... It's legitimately pretty freaky. And this is a show that... I mean... We've ta- we talked a long time ago about how good this show is when it leans into the horror aspects of fairy tales, but that was like, oh, season one with the, uh, with, with the Emma, oh no, with Emma Caulfield, with the blind witch. Yes. When the show leans on horror aesthetics, it can do some really interesting things. And the scene where Cruella has the dogs tear her mom apart, it's not like, it all happens off screen, but it is still very unsettling. Honestly, the Cruella story owes so many elements to horror movies and really comes away stronger for it. Back in the real world, Emma, Hook, and Regina all hear Henry screaming, but coming from different directions. So Emma tells them to split up. Another horror movie trope. Yeah, as someone who has difficulty with directional hearing, I can sympathize. Yeah, me too. But they all go in different directions and find... I, I love this. I honest to God love this. It's a piece of magic Cruella, I'm assuming, stole from Ursula, where she has trapped Henry's screams in three different seashells and put them around the forest. Yes. Two different seashells. One of them is actually Henry. Mm-hmm. So they find the two seashells and then... So Regina finds one seashell, Hook finds the other seashell. And helpfully tells us... Oh, it's magic. Yeah, thank you, Hook. We couldn't figure that out by ourselves. Rumpel is there guiding Emma? I feel like Rumpel makes sure that Emma is the one who finds Cruella. Because Emma is the one who goes after the real Henry screaming. And she does find Henry and Cruella standing on the edge of a cliff. Uh-oh. Mm-mm. Uh-oh, that doesn't end well for Disney villains. Yeah, historically that has not gone well for Disney villains. Anyway, back in the past, oh my god, Cruella, Cruella de Vil, 
Cruella DeVille. If she doesn't scare you, no evil thing will. After she killed her mom, she decided the next thing she needed was a costume change. Yeah, we see her working on a coat. A coat. Yeah. The, a coat with red lining. Yeah, the author comes into her house. He goes up to the attic where she's sewing. And we're real horror movie here. It's lightning flashes. It's slow movement. It's quiet, small moments. A wide-eyed look of madness on her face and a look of dawning realization on his. And she tells him, you don't need to worry about mother anymore. I took care of it. And he, he's looking around and she's like, you don't have to worry about the dogs either. And she reveals the coat, which is a Dalmatian coat. Okay, so if she already had a Dalmatian coat, why did she need Roger and Anita's Dalmatians? Clearly that didn't happen in this, uh... Oh, okay. Wait, that means... That means in this storyline, Cruella got her happy ending. Yeah, until what... Until what's about to happen happens. Also, she made that coat really quickly. I'm super impressed. Like, he found her later that night, and not very much later. She skinned, tanned, and constructed that coat in, like, an hour. I don't think it's even physically possible. So, while she's showing off her new coat, the author goes after the uh, quill and pen. He sees it in the corner of the room. He dives for it. He grabs it, but she grabs his hand, and the ink spills all over her face. Oh, no! Now her hair has gone from blonde to half black, half white! And now she has permanent, really heavy eyeshadow. And her lipstick is red instead of a more natural mauve color. Yeah, that's a weirdly specific thing for the ink to do to her. Anyway, she grabs her gun because she is going to kill the author. But he very quickly managed to write something down. And she finds now that she cannot pull the trigger. And she is devastated. He has taken from her the thing that she loved most. Killing people. Yep. Now, Cruella has power, but can't kill people. She is incapable of murder. I just love that explicitly the thing she loved most was killing people. So her happy ending would be being able to kill people again. He even asks her, by the way, before all this goes down, he says, you know, what made you like this? And she's like, I'm just like this. I just like the darkness. Yeah, she says... Some people fight all of their lives against the darkness, and some people embrace it. Cruella is Cruella because she's Cruella. Yeah, which is nice. I mean, it's always good to have a sympathetic, well-rounded villain, but it's also kind of nice to have someone who's just an asshole. Just truly, unabashedly evil. So David and Mary Margaret have successfully located the author... And David's like, hey, why don't I beat the shit out of you until you tell me what I want to know? By the way, paragons of virtue. Yep, they're the good guys. Anyway, they beat him up until he reveals that Rumpel's plan is, in fact, to turn the savior dark. Which everyone is acting surprised about, even though they all knew this was Rumpel's plan. Yeah, this has explicitly been his plan for the last, like, few episodes. We've known about this. Ursula told you this was his plan. Anyway, then he shows them what he wrote down when he was with Corella all those years ago. And it says, 
Corella can no longer take away the life of another, which seems oddly phrased. Oh, no, I think that was important because it means not only can she not kill, she cannot through action or inaction cause the death of another person. Which means Corella is defenseless, which means that if Emma kills her, she'll be killing a defenseless person. Yeah, bullshit. That's not how that works. Just because she physically can't beat Emma doesn't mean that she's some sort of innocent and Emma is in, like spiritual hawk if she kills her. Cruella is holding her son at gunpoint on a cliff's edge. Defending your child is the most fundamentally human thing a person can do. And I refuse to believe that Emma doing that is evil. Yeah, and she doesn't know that Cruella's defenseless. Cruella has her son literally at gunpoint and she's like, I'm going to kill him. I don't give a shit. What are you going to do? Nothing. And I was like, telekinesis, motherfucker. Right. It's like the first thing I learned. Okay. This scene doesn't make a lot of sense to me without Cruella being in on the plan. She had to know that she was pushing Emma too far, right? Yeah. I don't know what she thought she was gonna do how did she think this confrontation was going to end because spoiler emma well i guess it's not telekinesis emma light magic blasts corella off the edge of the cliff and kills her and then we zoom in on jennifer morrison not wearing makeup so we can see how evil she is well she also has a look of pleasure on her face like she didn't kill because she had to she killed because she wanted to See, I wouldn't say pleasure necessarily. It's a look of... She looks more resigned than anything else. She's like, I did what had to be done. Okay, I wouldn't say resigned. I'd say determined. Steely determination. Like, I contain the ability to kill if need be. Which we already know. Like my father and mother before me. I'm sorry, but also this isn't anything new i guess the whole point is that she killed someone defenseless no i think this is the first time emma killed anyone well i mean she killed walsh yeah but walsh was a flying monkey so it didn't count just the way it didn't count when they threw lily into a death pit because she's part dragon yeah also he's the wizard of oz so he's kind of a dick but oh my god a mother killed while defending her child clearly this is the first step she <laughs> You thought that there was a possibility that she wouldn't be a hero and you threw a baby into a pit. Cruella had her son at gunpoint. Seriously. Does the show not understand what evil is? Literally, a mother defending her child is like basic exception to the no killing policy right off the bat. Yeah. Whatever. Jesus fucking Christ. Let's do our segments. Okay, so I know it seems like we're angry. We're we're angry at the implication, but I love this episode. This is such a good episode. This is episode. an amazing episode. If you only watch one episode of Once Upon a Time ever, watch Sympathy for the Deville. It's so good. It's so good. It... All right, so let's talk about our segments. Okay, so uh, direct Disney references. I'm gonna say the uh, author pointing out. Uh, that Rumpel used antlers in his decorating is a direct reference to Gaston. All right. This is chronologically the first, although not the first time in this show, time that 
Cruella used the green breath that resembles her cigarette smoke to control animals. Hmm. Also, uh, the Cruella de Vil song. Yes, the Cruella de Vil song is playing on the radio and is Cruella's favorite song. Oh, and of course, we see the origin of where she got her roadster. The author gave it to her. That's not really a direct Disney reference, though. The car is absolutely a direct Disney reference. Well, the car is, but... Yes. We get the origin of a direct Disney reference. Mm. So let's talk about clothes. Oh my god. Cruella. I love everything you wear. I liked all of Cruella's outfits, but I feel like none of them really stood out for, uh, to me, except for the paisley coat she was wearing as a child. Well, I liked her black flapper dress that she wore when she went out dancing with the author. And, of course, her final coat with the red trim and the actual Dalmatian fur. I feel like all of her adult outfits are sort of a response to the clothes she was made to wear as a child. Because they all kind of read as the opposite of that. They're all not... Because she was wearing a very busy outfit and all of her adult outfits are just very simple designs. Well, also, they read as innocent then, right? She had... um, When we saw her first... When we saw her locked up in the attic room as a young adult, she had a white... Uh, 20s cut dress yeah which i did love i did love that dress also was mary margaret wearing that shirt before because i could not stop looking at that shirt it was so awful the vulva shirt yes the vulva shirt (laughs) no i don't think she's ever worn that before because it was like hypnotically bad clothing yeah it was really bad it's weird. She they they're putting her in colors this season because she's supposed to be morally ambiguous, but she just she can't wear color the way Regina can, I guess. I still think the wardrobe department has it out for her cuz it, it's not that she's wearing colors, it's that she's wearing awful awful clothing. Well, the shirt is particularly bad, but she did have on her red jacket all episode that she was wearing before. Mm. Uh, so I guess that's about it for our segments this week. It is. Hey, we should mention that we're starting our next zine. Uh, yes, we are starting our next zine. It's called Let's Meet in Portland, a best friends whenever zine, and is a love letter to the Disney Channel original series Best Friends Whenever. Mm, specifically the first season. Yeah, I mean, some stuff from the second season will slip in there, but the first season is the one you should watch. If you haven't watched it, it's on Netflix. You can binge it all right now. Uh, It may not be for everyone. But it's definitely for us. Now, this show is Mm listener-supported. If you would like to become one of our patrons, you can do so at our website. You can go to ilovetelevisionzines.com and click on our Patreon link. We would like to thank our $5 and above patrons. Beryl, Patricia, Cassidy, Alec, Alex, Alicia, and Ryan. Now, if you'd like to support the show in other ways, you can always rate and review us on iTunes. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode, head over to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash ilovetelevisionzines. You can also reach us at ilovetvzines at Twitter or ilovetelevisionzines at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to Storybrook. Like something that seeks its level. I want to go to the devil. want to be evil. I want to spit tax. I want to be evil. And cheat at 
Jacks. I wanna be wicked. I wanna tell lies. I wanna be mean and throw. 